Welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh, heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. So I guess the second episode in uh, in a new season. Does the season two feel any? I mean, what does that even mean? But it, does it feel any different to you? No. Um, I read the other day that there's a new word um, added to the dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It's a uh, blur's day. It's a pandemic term for right. whatever day this is. It's called Blur's Day. Yeah. So no, this feels feels the same. Same. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, I was saying that you know every day was the eleventeenth of pandemic. So I get it. That's... Yeah, it's Blur's Day, the eleventeenth of pandemic. So welcome everybody. Right. Uh, what are we talking about today? Well. Given what we just said, interestingly enough, we're talking about um, what is careful in a pandemic. I think, you know, we were mentioning that, uh, or we are mentioning today how we are in pandemic fatigue. Um, It's been a while. And, you know, we have now cases going up again with holidays, I guess, starting around Halloween. We are past Thanksgiving. Who knows what the the numbers are going to be like in another day or two or 14 days from now. Um, And what does careful mean? What does it look like? Uh, And how does that play out as as we keep going? I'd say, you know, you introduced this term uh, and, you know, I've heard it used. I'm I'm not one who who feels any sort of. Pandemic fatigue, but can you say a little bit about what that is for people who are listening and. Sure. Yeah, I think the well, the pandemic fatigue, it's it's often, you know, people will write articles, have written articles about it, it's on the news. It's just that we are in this moment, you know, in you know, on Blur's Day, <laughs> where people are exhausted of, of holding being vigilant and holding to these these rules. And I, I found it really intense around this Thanksgiving holidays. I you know, talk to my clients, I think, I I don't know that I didn't have one person at least mention the difference between going into this holiday season um, in a pandemic than what it has been in the years past and all of the loss around that. So I think the fatigue is we are really, really tired of dealing with the stupid virus and we're losing it. Yeah, it's one of the things that... um... You know, I mean, not to, this is not for the kudos, but uh, I, I, I called it early on. Um, early on. Kudos, Raphael. Listen, I don't do it for the kudos. <laughs> but early on, it, it occurred to me that this is, you know, it's hard for people to do, mo- mostly because I think people are doing something where uh, it feels outside of the realm of what they normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're holding to a protocol the best that they can. I would say 
not well either, but they're to the best that they can, to the best of their understanding. Uh, they are doing things um, for which they, they don't understand the reasons behind. Uh, and it feels like a chore and it feels like it's imposed. Um, and I think there's only so long that you can do that before before you, you start to say, you know, what the fuck? Things break down. Yeah. And I think a lot of people saying have said, you know, what the fuck? Well, you know, because they don't understand. I think that's part of it. Um, but sure, it's also an, an imposition. Um, I would even go as far to say um, a loss. You know, you know, it's there is certainly, you know, what the fuck? And I'm so tired and it's starting to break down. For people who recognize that maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas is the one time where maybe they see their families that they fly to see across the country, or this is the one time where they've saved their money so that they can be with their aging parents or whatever. There, there, there's real stuff in here where it's not like somebody's just saying, well, it's not normal and I don't like that. I think you know, there's also people that are missing you know, grandchildren and, and parents and siblings and um, holidays that typically would bring you to those people are, you know, it's, it got obliterated. And there's right. real, real loss in that. No, there is real loss. I mean, so there's loss in the civilization that we had. And, and, and in some ways, maybe that's why it's, it's easier for me um, because I watch sci-fi, right? Um, and I understand what it means when, you know, and, you know, I'm a political scientist, so I have a, a clear idea of what it means when uh, a civilization starts to fall apart. I'm not saying that our civilization is falling apart, but our civilization has shifted. Uh, and the reason that I, I think that, that it's, it's worth considering in those ways is, think of it this way. If aliens came, right, uh, or, you know, aliens, I think they were popular during, during the Cold War, post-Cold War. Zombies are more popular, but they, they sort of occupy the, the human uh, imagination in the same way. Uh, but if aliens came... Or the post-Cold War, uh, you know, Monster Nouveau, if zombies came back to life and our cities were overrun and the countryside was overrun with zombies slash aliens, whatever, it's the same idea, right? Um, Then it's true, you would definitely feel lost, uh, but no one would be trying to act normal in the middle of a zombie Hmm. pandemic, right? Or, or, Or an alien invasion, yeah, because uh, you'd see the zombies outside your door and you would say, I'm staying in. Right, You would exactly. You would have a fundamental understanding that the world has shifted. Hmm. Um, and it's shifted into something that is, uh, is unrecognizable to the degree that the things that matter are how much toilet paper I can get yeah. or how much food I can get. And people understand that part. They're doing that part. Right. You know, that's interesting because it goes more into survival mode. Um, rather than this kind of emotional process. You don't really have time to think about, I'm missing my aging mother. You're mostly saying, I've got to make sure that we have enough food in the refrigerator for two more weeks. Right. Which is, you know, we talk about it often, but it's like Maslow's hierarchy. But I also, to your point, can hear you. What you're saying, I think, is that because we, it's so invisible and so it's not an animal reaction, we're not working through our insecurity around it. Because it's invisible, we're mostly working through what our emotional process is around it. 
I think that's true. I think that's true for a lot of people. And if I can go back to the zombie, you know, the zombie thing might seem like it's it's a useless comparison, but let, let me put it this way. It's if some kind of apocalypse did happen, all those people who are like, mm, but I miss my and I need to, right? They're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have a set of rules. You don't have a set of thinking. You don't have a paradigm for how to operate in the post-zombie, post-alien invasion world. You don't, you, you don't have that paradigm. No, we right? don't, yeah. And, and to the degree that you can uh, <coughs> adjust your thinking and follow whatever type of best practices start to emerge, right? Because any new paradigm shift, somebody's going to get it right, a lot of people are going to die, and best practices will start emerging to the degree that you could adhere. This is why I love The Walking Dead, by the way. Because they, they do a really good job, I think, of, uh, of painting um, a world with men and women after the apocalypse. Mm. Um, I think they really capture it, they, the politics of it. But to the degree that you could adhere to a new paradigm um, is, is the degree to which you'll survive. And, and those moments when you fall back to, I wish things were the way that they were is a recipe for disaster and obviously there's no zombie apocalypse and obviously there's no alien invasion but what this pandemic calls us to do is to operate in the new paradigm mm-hmm. uh, now you're right you you might survive uh you might get it and you might survive um you might be afflicted for the rest of your life or maybe nothing will happen um or maybe someone close to you will die or maybe not uh, but I, I think if you're willing to weigh the risks, right? So if you're, if you're very clear-headed about it, I have no problem. If you say, listen, I've made all the considerations that I, I want to consider, even if I get it, and even if uh, I'm afflicted for the rest of my life, it'll be worth it. I'm making this decision. But that's very clear-headed, and I, I, have no, I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a decision, that I can get behind because you made it clear, clear-eyed, if you will. Yes, and and I think there is an, a complication that goes with that that um, might take us off just a bit. But I'm noting with couples or or partners or family members, somebody having that kind of idea. I've made this clear decision. I'm okay with the risk, and somebody else in your household who is not then you're actually making a decision for them too, which mm. gets a little tricky. So it's not, you know, we're, we often will describe what, what it means to be for the greater good. Um, and that gets a little complicated when you're um, going to put other people in danger because you've decided that you're willing to take the dangerous path or, or a less calculated path, I guess, calculated, calculatedly uncalculated path. That's a mouthful, huh? It was, and I had a little hard time saying yeah. it, but yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think in, in some ways that's the essence of politics, right? It's the very, you want to talk about politics, it's like this is what politics boil down to. Um, the decisions about how to operate amongst like very small groups of people, maybe as, as small as two people. Two people having two different ideas about what the group, that entity, that duo should right. do. So the essence of politics. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's like throwing a bomb in a bunker with, you know, war criminals, but there are kids in there too, you know? 
It's sort of like that. Um, <laughs> you you, you kind of smile when yeah. I said that, so I don't know. I mean, but that's how it feels to me. It's like, well, I'm going to take out these this really evil thing, but at the same time, everybody has to go. Yeah, it's... it's I, okay, yes. So, I mean, that's a political decision, right? Right. Um, that is a political decision. I don't know if I would call that the essence of politics. Um, but I didn't say essence of politics. I just was I was just giving you an example. I, I, I hear you. No, that, that example Somehow works. I feel like it's not appropriate. <laughs> that, that example works as well. No, but that, I mean, so you're right. right? It's one of the things that complicates uh, the decision-making process. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the only reason that I, I mentioned that to begin with is because I don't think that people are that clear-headed when they make the when they make those decisions that they aren't saying if everybody gets sick i'm okay with that i've accepted these risks Mm -hmm. that's not what people are doing Mm -hmm. people are generally defaulting to i think it'll be okay Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be fine um one of the ways you know i I think about human errors a lot I, i spend a lot of time thinking about human errors and how much our gut betrays us how much our instincts betray us how much our, our reason and our logic uh, betray us. Uh, be, because the world of, let's say the world of chaos, right? I don't have another word for it. The world of chaos is different than the world that we have, which is an ordered one in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, every time there's an optical illusion, you, <laughs> you understand that your brain has given you information that's actually false. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a, a, a magic trick, no, we're generally entertained by that, but we don't get this lesson that says, oh, actually, I'm wrong, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wrong about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, my favorite one is parking tickets. Um, no, no one, right? No one sees the parking attendant coming and says, oh, the parking attendant is on its way, uh, on their way, um, he, she, them. Uh, no one sees the parking attendant coming and says, oh, I'm just going to risk it. No, either you wait, you pay, or you find somewhere else. The only time that we risk the parking ticket is when you look around, you don't see the parking attendant, and you say, I think I can make it. Right? That's a big mistake in the city of Philadelphia, by the way. Some, well, sometimes it works, right? Yeah. Sometimes you, you run in, I'm just going to be five minutes. You run in, you run out, and sometimes you don't have a parking ticket. Mm-hmm. It's great, right? You're like, yes, I was right. And sometimes you have, you come back and it's like, shit. Womp womp. They got me. But that should be an indicator, not just that you got the parking ticket, but you were wrong. You were wrong about your assumptions about the world. Yeah. uh, Yes, totally. That is a good example. I mean, I came from, not to get too far off on this, but my assumption of the world growing up in this kind of small town in the Midwest in Belleville is that um, you could park at places where you're not supposed to park and maybe once in a blue moon you get a ticket because it just wasn't happening. I moved to Philadelphia a long time ago in the early 90s and I re- I parked in this at this uh, sign on South Street which at the time was this you know it's still pretty active but it was booming the street was like everybody wanted to be there. And I wanted to run in and get a slice of pizza and run back out and get in my car. I came from Belleville where you don't get tickets. Uh, I got my slice of pizza and I walked 
out to my car and was actually gone. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. Like wow. where my car is stolen, I where it was, walked all over. Maybe I parked at a different place. Turns out it was towed. And the sign clearly stated that vehicles will be towed. And I just, and I saw go. that sign. Right. But even after it was towed and I knew the sign was there, I couldn't imagine that it would be towed. You, this doesn't happen in real life because I came from a town where it just didn't happen. So my assumption was based on my experience. And once I got to someplace else where it switched, well, then I had to change my assumption. So, I mean, that to me makes sense, right? That the, the part, I mean, humans do this type of error all the time. We assume that things are going to be one way and they turn out to be another way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is the type of error that we, that we all make. What I find to be fascinating is that we don't learn from those moments. So every single ticket shouldn't just say that, oh, I can't park here. Like if you have taken away the lesson that the Philadelphia Parking Authority is that they're ticketing maniacs and they're going to get you somehow, right? You've missed, I think, the bigger lesson is that the world that exists in your mind is not the world. Hmm. Is that, that you can't control chaos and that no matter what your, your, your assumptions are based on, that that actual world, you know, as a stock trader, like it, it's, you, you face this all the time, that your beliefs are different than what the actual world is going to do. But if you can't internalize that, and I think it's very hard, I think it's very hard to internalize how chaos works versus how the life that you want to work is going to work. If you can't internalize that, then you will make this mistake over and over and over again. And I think that's what's happening uh, with the pandemic fatigue and with, you know how people think about the virus. Um, you know, one of the things that's happening is they assume that things are going to go this way, but that's not how the world works. And you're getting feedback all the time. You're, your brain is telling you all the time, oh, yes, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about this. You're wrong about this. You're wrong about this. Tickets, illusions, you know, cars being towed. Uh, I didn't think I was going to break my leg, but I did. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point about the apocalypse, you know, that it being something like a zombie apocalypse and you know i've seen enough zombie things like you know they're all like clamoring at your window you're not gonna that's be, what they do they do yeah <laughs> you're not going to be um able to ignore it or to think that you know well maybe emotionally you know even if i see my aunt in zombie form that i can go talk to my aunt even though she's now turned into an, a zombie although although that, that, does, that, that, that does happen in the, in movies, the shows right? yeah but I mean, that right there, I guess, is the, to my point, an em- more of an emotional response. I was, I have a story. I <clears throat> had this very, well, three person gathering in my backyard for Thanksgiving. Uh, one person was somebody who I, I would consider to be a member of my family. And the other was my 21 year old daughter. Um, measured the chairs six feet apart, masks unless we were eating or drinking. Um, one of the my my good friend who I consider family, he had had um, the virus early on and um, has now been tested twice for antibodies and I guess got tested right before this event so he could put my mind at ease to know that he was still had a plenty of antibodies. He also had a rapid test that showed negative. <clears throat> 
Um, so I think in some ways for him, well, in a lot of ways, logically, it makes sense that perhaps he is completely immune and he doesn't have to do anything different. We know that, you know, that's those are really good chances that he's fine and he's not going to infect anybody. But because it's a novel virus, we don't know exactly what, what that means, if it's true. Could he be a, in, right. asymptomatic even after a test? I mean, we don't know, right? And because we're all trying to do this together, you take into consideration how it's supposed to work as a group. Um, I had somebody in my house that wasn't participating in the celebration that was like all the way at the other end of the house and the bathroom was close to my backyard. And he wouldn't go in and use the bathroom and wear a mask because he was afraid that he was going to make the person that's in my house nervous. He said, no, I don't want to make them anxious because I know they're being so careful and they'll just get you know, worried about this. And I said, actually, no, I think the person that's in there is not going to be worried if you're following protocol. And, you know, really, you're going into a place in the house that's so far away from him with a mask that there's not going to be any chance of infection. And he knows that it's not going to he's not going to be nervous. My point is, is that my friend what he I think he continues to think about this in a in an emotional way. You know, being careful for him means, oh, some people are a lot more anxious about this than others. I'm not as anxious. And he sees that as kind of the way of working through this, that there are those that are maybe more hypervigilant because they're so, so scared. There's those that are so much more relaxed. Maybe they don't want to get it, but they're not as anxious. And so he's seeing this as an emotional process rather than a really logical scientific one, something that a system can explain. He, um, you know, he's overridden with his emotions. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, I, I, again, you know, I, I think scientific, if this pandemic has taught me anything, it's that scientific thinking is, is it's much, much harder than uh, than I imagine it is um, for for some people, but you know Atul Gawande uh, he he wrote a book called uh, Checklist Manifesto. Here's another book about dying, but this one um, this one speaks to so there there are two major examples that he uses in the book, and one is about doctors, uh, particularly surgeons, and the other one is about um, military pilots. Brilliant people, right? So this is not about intelligence. It's not about IQ. It's not about what you know or how qualified you are. Mm -hmm. What he shows is that uh, by using checklists, protocols, right? And not the gut of the doctor, not the gut, not the instinct, not the reason or the logic of of the military air, aircraft pilots. By using checklists, they are greatly able to diminish the amount of deaths per year in hospitals through line infections, right? People will get uh, infections in IV lines. Um, greatly diminish that, some 90% uh, reduction. Uh, and really, uh, in terms of aircraft, um, aircraft crashes and failures, to greatly reduce the amount of aircraft failures and crashes by using a checklist. And for, for awareness, like that you have a method of awareness as you go into something? Yeah, it's it, right. It, the checklist is there to stop people from relying on their gut. Ah. Right? If you do a thousand, let's say, surgeries a year, right? Uh, I don't know if that's a lot or, or not. That seems like it's a lot, three a day. If you do, um, if you do 250, let's double that, right? If you do uh, 500 surgeries, two a day, right? Um, you, and you're all, you know, I mean, medicine is so specialized now 
that, uh, you know, my, my arm surgeon, when I looked at his resume, like he does surgery on, <clears throat> he just does surgery on like biceps. Hmm. Like that's it. Wow. <laughs> he doesn't, he won't do your knees. Like, oh, I'm a bicep surgeon. Hmm. Um, so, so specialized. Right. Super specialized. And, uh, you know, if you do enough of them, you at some point you I mean you're like I got it right I, I I've done this process so many times I got it mm-hmm. I don't need no stinking checklist right which is what so many of the doctors uh in in the study uh they objected to is like listen I'm a professional mm-hmm. I don't need your help I don't need your dumb checklist uh and what they did was they gave the nurses the the power to enforce it and what you see is that there's this drastic reduction hmm. in the amount of people who are dying because of infections go way, like, just super reduced, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think something you've done over and over and over again, you're thinking, I don't, I mean, this is, like, second nature to me. Right. And so you forego it. I have a memory of this once in my life. I, I, was a, I taught at a, a sports camp when I was... Um, in college, I taught uh, kids how to water ski. And in order to do the, the you know, to take the boat out, and I'd grown up, my dad had a boat, so I knew exactly what went on with the boat. And But they had a checklist of all the things you had to look at before you took the boat off the dock. You know, this is like the end of the summer. I've done this a thousand times. I started foregoing the checklist. I'm like, it's fine. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> that one time that I go out, and a kid is in the water and I'm throwing the rope and I start to start the engine and I'm out of gas. Well, I didn't do the checklist. What you're supposed to do with the checklist is go check the tank. And I'd done this so many times before, I'd never run out of gas. I skipped the checklist and there you go. And I definitely got in trouble by the supervisor. <laughs> but yeah, it was that one time where, or not one time, but it became this thing where I'd done it so often and things hadn't gone wrong that I just thought, well, why do it? Why do it indeed? I mean, there's a really good, and you know, I'll skip the brain science, but at the bare minimum, what what we should understand but don't is that our brain is constantly receiving information about the world that tells us how wrong we are all the time. Again, back to the back to the example of the um, of the parking ticket, but we're constantly receiving information about we're wrong. We're wrong most of the time, mm-hmm. but we don't feel wrong. We feel like I got it. And what checklists are, what protocols are there to do? I mean, they don't have to just be checklists. What protocols are there to do is they're there to overcome your hubris, your arrogance, that feeling says, ah, I think I got it, right? I know what I'm doing. It's there to overcome that. And we all fall into that trap of thinking we got it when we don't. Yeah, I think it also, with regard to what we're talking about this pandemic, is it's an emotional override as well. Um, You know, even talking to couples, what I'll say to them is sit down and figure out what page you guys are on together. And you have to agree to the things that you don't want to negotiate to, you don't want to have to negotiate those in the minute. Like if somebody's coming over unexpectedly, you know, they end up on your porch, you know, what have you guys agreed to that is going to be okay? Masks and six feet. We already have established that. 
I don't have to guess with this person or think, well, it's okay this time because you have this checklist that you've made as a family of what's going to happen. And you don't, it takes all the guesswork out and it takes the emotional process out where you're saying, but this is, you know, my really good friend. I don't, I don't want to make them feel funny for stopping by because that's all taken care of. It's on a checklist. You don't have to do the emotional navigation so much. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting human, like, I can have a lot of, if we look at this historically, I can have a lot of empathy for people who just want to assume that things are one way. Um, You know, back to the alien example, in all the movies, like, the military shows up, right? And then there's some hippies, like, they just want peace, man. That's why they're here. They want to love us, or however the hippies talk. I assume that all hippies talk that way. Um but the military is always there and they got guns and they're like, don't they shoot. They want to probe them right? and dissect And they them. end up shooting early yeah. or some problem. Um, on, on the military side, people are assuming they're preparing for the worst. Mm. Now, when you, you put hotheads at the front and they shoot the alien prematurely, then the alien destroys your, your planet or whatever, then you've made the wrong decision. But the idea of having the, a military presence there is to say, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's this unknown part that I think is, is very easy for people to underestimate, right? The hippie is like, they just want to love us, man. Um, that that hippie hasn't taken into consideration that I actually don't know this situation at all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to treat it like a situation that I understand, but I don't have enough information, and this is important. And maybe maybe I'm able to do this, you know, because of game theory. But what happens when you don't have enough information? And that's a big problem, right? Uh, another way to think of it, what do people do? What do people do when they don't have enough information, but they think they have enough information? Right? Like you, there's an assumption that, oh, I, I think I know how things are going to go. But you're using a heuristic that actually tells you um, that you know how this plays out. Where in reality, you, you, you simply don't have enough information. And even that in and of itself, uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about this in... Um, Thinking fast and slow is that because people use heuristics, there are moments where you think that there's enough information available for you to make the right decision, but in fact, that information is not available. And so you're it's an error on top of an error. Like your gut is just Yeah. <clears throat> I think, you know, going back to I my thoughts about where people are in this pandemic of fatigue is this as I was describing before, is the emotional override. Um, and I do believe that it, it connects or it relates to what you said is that you think you have enough information. Um, and it's primarily not based on information, I think is gonna be my, po- my point. There's, there's enough information out there. You could look up how the virus works. So I, I was talking to my kid the other day and. You know, she was talking about objects, picking up objects. And, you know, although that there are traces of, you know, coronavirus or the virus on surfaces, they know now that that's a lot less likely to get that than the transference through, you know, it's an airborne illness. And so I was talking to her about that as, you know, if you wear the mask and you're talking to somebody and they have on a mask, that's, you know, double protection it's the airborne that that will be transferred and she she kind of took issue with it i think she called me coronavirus queen as i was telling her because she was upset that i was like taking issue with her 
But, you know, these moments where emotionally you're just kind of going along and you're not really considering the mechanics necessarily, but also to this emotional, to the distinction of it being emotional is somewhat of what we had talked about before, that it's not at your window, clawing at your window, and you don't have something visually like we do respond in terms of our animal nature. It's not something where the hair stands up on the back of our neck or we can hear the rustle in the woods and know that we're in trouble. So we we are relying, I think, more on emotion because we're not getting all of the signals that we would typically get, which our brain would be activated around we're in danger. It's so hard because we can't we can't get there. We don't see it. So, right. From a, from an evolution, I, I agree with you. From an evolutionary standpoint, you know, the world of the, the very small, the very large, the very slow, and the very fast are hard to process, right? They, they happen outside of our evolutionary fitness. So it, if you smoke one cigarette, right? Jim Rohn says this thing that I love. He says, just because disaster doesn't happen at the end of the first day doesn't mean disaster isn't coming. Mm-hmm. If you smoke one cigarette, you could conclude that, oh, I'm fine. Right. Um, but the process is slow enough that it might take you. So any process that's going to take you 10 years to catch up with it, 20 years to catch, 30 years for it to catch up with you, you could conceivably for 25 of those years say, I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Right. But just because disaster doesn't come at the end of the first day doesn't mean it, it isn't coming. The world is very slow as we watch our environment degrade with climate change and things of that sort. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't change your behavior, but people think so far so good. Uh, there's a there's a, a French uh, sort of saying is, uh, you know, a guy he's falling from an airplane um, and he's plummeting toward the earth. Right. And he's saying so far, so good. So far, so good. So far, so good. Jusqu'ici tu vas bien. Jusqu'ici tu vas bien, right? So far so good. And he's falling, he's plummeting to the earth. So far so good, so far so good, so far so good. But it's not the fall that matters. It's the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is some of the ways that um, that I, I do think our emotional reliance on, on how things are, right? Uh, with regard to the very fast, the very slow, uh, the very big and the very small, our emotional reliance is for our social world. And it doesn't have the ability to compute things that are outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another, there's a very famous historical example of one of these, uh, you know, Incan uh, leader king gods named Atahualpa. Um, and I, I think it's Pizarro who shows up. And, um, you know, this, this Incan leader, he didn't have enough information. He, there were Spanish people. They were on horses. He was like, well, I've never seen a horse before. Right? There were no horses mm-hmm. in, in this hemisphere. These guys show up on horses. They got armor. Totally conquistador, right? Totally, you know, Spanish conquistador. Uh, they got their little muskets or whatever they were using at the time. And Atahualpa and his men, he said, well, I, I am a god king. And mind you, we have, to think about, we have to think about where religion plays in this as well. I'm a god king. I'm all powerful. Do I know what these Spanish people are going to do? No. Are they only strange creatures that seem totally weird to me? Yes. But you know what I'm going to do? There are 80,000 of us. There are a couple hundred of them. I'm so powerful that instead of descending upon them and showing them our military might, we're going to do a dance. We're going to do a military dance. And the next day, 
they did this dance and to show not only am I so powerful, I'm so powerful that I don't even need to be afraid of you. Mm. And the Spanish wiped them out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And it's one of these lessons for me, you know, uh, of <laughs> what it means when you don't have enough information, but you assume that you do. Uh, that sometimes shit doesn't go your way. Yeah. Um, but we do it all the time and we have done it. And I don't think there's any way to divorce that heuristic, that cognitive bias from, from people, um, because we assume that we know when we don't. Yes. I, I think it, you know, as we are doing this show at the, you know, probably at the height of another surge going into the holidays, hopefully, we don't know, but hopefully a vaccine is on the way. Um, what does it mean to continue to stay connected to more of the science and the systems that are in place rather than emotion? That's going to be really high when, you know, perhaps when Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever you do and however you celebrate. And you've got to then make these decisions based on not zombies at your window because you're not going to see anything. But you have to remember that there are apps Abs- there's absolutely something going on that you have um, you have to pay attention to in ways that you wouldn't be able to pay attention to if those zombies were at your window. They're not going to be there. Right. You know, so speaking of Hanukkah. Oh. Did you see? <laughs> okay. There was like Haredi slash, I don't know whether they were Satmar Jews or Haredi. I mean, I guess one is a subset of the other. But did you see this Haredi... Hasidic Satmar wedding, um, where like there were like fifteen thousand people. No, first of all, I don't even know who has a wedding where fifteen thousand people go. Wow, no. But there were fifteen thousand people jammed in like sardines, no. right? Packed in, all men. Uh, I have no, I have no, I have no idea how big this community is, but fifteen thousand guys in big hats, right? What do they call those hats? Stiesels? Is that what that is? They have these big stiesels, um. Nobody has on a mask. And I'm like, oy. So they, they find them. Um, they find them. There's a, there's a big fine that goes along with that. But could you imagine? No. First, could you imagine a wedding with 15,000 people? But no. nobody has on a mask? Um, and I, you know, I know, at least in parts of New York, that uh, there are so many uh, Haredi slash Hasidic Jews that have gotten the virus already that they're not worried about it. But that's a lot of, that feels to me like a lot of spreading. I did, could you, be wrong. did you hear like what the outcome of that was in terms of, that would be called what they're calling now a super spreader event, but. So it just happened. So it just we'll, happened. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what the, what the fallout is. But uh, the city of, uh, I think it was in New York, the city of New York was not happy. And, uh, you know. Because yeah, they, they're having a hard time right now. Right. They slapped them with a huge fine. Mm-hmm. And, um. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So the holidays, I was just, you know, part of my mind was like, you know, I think Hanukkah will be fine, but who knows, right? Hanukkah in New York might look crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of craziness. Uh, I saw, I watched the news this morning and saw two events and some like concerts in, in New York, like full blown out concerts, people right. packed in these venues um, over the Thanksgiving holiday. And again, I think it's the whole pandemic fatigue. I mean, that kind of stuff was happening, you know, in March and April, but people were really scared and, and 
it really kind of ceased for a while in ways that I think it's picking up again where people are just, they're done, they're tired, and they, they want to do their life the way that they used to know it. Right. Uh, well, I, for one, wish that they were real zombies. Um, just so that we could, virus, you know what I mean? The virus would be I just, zombies. I just wish that there were real zombies so that I could be one of the survivors. And I have to deal with the people who are like, well, we're going to the concert. Then zombies are in the concert and everyone dies. <laughs> and, you know. I, for one, am not one I, that wants I would just get zombies. my weapons. Yeah, I would. And, uh, you know, I'm not gonna go be zombie hunting. I'm not going to be good in a zombie apocalypse. Not because I'll be, you know, careless, but it just, emotionally, I think I'll just be scared and under my bed, mostly. <laughs> with some pizza. So if you know anything about, there's no more pizza. Oh, where are you going to get a pizza from? Frozen? No. Um, food is going to be hard. Yeah. And you got to stay on the move. Stay on the move. You can't just get... On your bed, it's not going to work. Right. You just got to keep going. Yeah. Oh, well. Clearly, you don't know about that. Yeah, well, so, so I was saying, I don't want them at my window. Right. Well, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think I think we've done it. But by the time it turns to, I really wish the zombie apocalypse was upon us. I think we're done. Yeah, I think in many ways we would be done. Right. Uh, certainly, I, I you know I, I like to thank people for hanging in there with us. Uh, you know, without uh, without you tuning in and, and listening, you know, heterodox Americana has no point. Uh, if you have ideas about how you think the zombie apocalypse would go, or anything else that we've talked about, uh, shout us out. Reach out on uh, on Instagram or or Facebook. Uh, it's heterodox Americana. Uh, and let us know. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later. See ya.